It is good to be here. You may be seated. And I say it is good to be here despite the circumstances that brought about me being here today. The emergency surgery weight loss program. <laughs> Not that Pastor Steve uh, needs that in any way. But uh, it happened, and uh, when I called over there, he was still in the hospital uh, yesterday morning recovering from surgery, and I said, uh, you're in no condition to preach. If you haven't heard that a hundred times, here's a hundred and one. And I actually heard, you know, just a little glint of uh, acceptance in his voice, <laughs> And uh, I said, uh, you just give me the call because we are commanded to be ready in season and out of season. So today is Alan Hecht season. Uh, I'm not uh, a new speaker here to Zoe. I remember I th I, there may have been another time in there if Steve ever went on vacation. But uh, I remember when they went away on their honeymoon uh, he called me up and said, would you, I was down for the weekend anyway, right, you know, for the, uh, for the wedding. So, uh, hey, once every 21 years or so, that's, uh, that's fine. Good to, good to be back. Now, I will tell you that there are some similarities and differences, but there are some similarities between my brother Steve and I. Uh, it's interesting enough that um, I write left-handed and he writes with his right hand. Yet, if I'm over my parents' house or I see something, a, a card that he has sent to my mother, I open it up and I'm amazed at how similar our handwriting looks. Now, we never sat down and said, okay, how do you write an A? All right, that's how I'm going to write an A. We write with different hands. I have to push the pen. He pulls the pen. But we're cut from the same cloth in a way. And so don't be surprised if you see some things that remind you of my brother. We are different people. I, I don't know. If you're, if you're lucky today, maybe I'll uh, throw one of these in there. <laughs> Is that right? I was going to use my iPad today, and I said, no, they just can't handle that. <laughs> so I resorted to paper. As we uh, get ready to hear the word this morning, let's just commit this time to God. Father, I come and I come humbly before you. I am simply your instrument. You have given us the wonderful word of God, and you have given us the words that bring life and healing and peace and love. And as we read your word today and as we explore what you have said in your word, may those facets of love and peace and happiness and love flow from us today. Amen. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to an early passage, Genesis chapter 2, passage you're probably familiar with as I say that reference. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to begin reading at verse 15, and we're going to go into uh, chapter 3 just a little bit. I had to call up Connie last night and say, what version are you guys using now? I want to make sure I re read from the version that folks can follow along with. So Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. 
Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were not ashamed. And we'll continue in chapter 3 here. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for if God knows, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. I want to talk to you today about what I consider the greatest love story ever told. Just about everyone loves a love story, especially when it involves them, I guess, right? Now, my boys, Joel and Brian, are about eight and six years old, and often when we're in the car, we kind of search up and down the radio dial until we find a song or a station that we like. Now, Daddy likes jazz. Daddy likes uh, gospel. He, if there's Clark Sisters on, it is always stopping on Clark Sisters. There is no way you can talk me out of that. But for the boys, we'll be listening, and uh, they like country. I don't know where they got this from. It is definitely not genetic. 
although it's starting to grow on me because I hear it so much now. I don't know if it's the catchy tunes or the lyrics that they can understand. You know, so many songs today, you can't even understand the lyrics, right? So you can understand a lot of those lyrics. I will say if it's not um, country, it's uh, sometimes Frank Sinatra. So they have a very wide range of their musical appreciation. I don't know what the common thread there is. But one day, Joel, my eight-year-old, said to me, Dad, country music songs are really only about a couple things. I said, really? What are those couple things? He said, well, they're about beer or mean people or love. And he said, oh, yeah, and sometimes tractors. There's a lot of tractor are. There are actually a lot, quite a lot of tractor songs. I think he's more or less right, and I think if you were to take a poll of all the country music songs out there, that the topic of those four that is most prevalent, what do you think? A beer? I, th I think it's love. You either you love someone, you lost someone that you loved, you lost a dog that you loved, right? You lost a tractor you loved. Because everybody loves a love story. Everybody loves a love song. And so we're going to look today at what I think is the greatest love story ever written, ever told. And as we look about into that, I want you to turn to another passage. It's from the first book of Timothy. This is short one here. First Timothy 2, beginning at verse 11. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Paul is writing to Timothy, giving him some direction. Now, this is a very interesting passage. As you turn there, you may recognize that one as well. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Now, that's a very interesting passage. If you know anything about me, that's a very interesting passage because my wife right now, who is a Presbyterian minister, is finishing up her sermon down in Prospect Park, Pennsylvania, as I am getting ready here to preach. Now, that's a whole other sermon, all right? And I'm not going to go. You'll have to invite me back if you want to hear about that passage. But many times in passages of Scripture, there are both shouts and whispers. That's why you can read the Bible over and over again and God speaks something different to you every time. Because the first time you go through it, you hear the shouts. But once those shouts die down a little bit, God allows you to hear the whispers. And there's a whisper in the passage. The shout is this whole man-woman thing, women being silent. But there's a whisper. It says there in verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Was only the woman deceived? Now, wait a minute. There's two possibilities there. Either Adam didn't sin. We know that's not true. 
We read in Genesis that she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So that's not true. The only other logical deduction that you could make there is that he sinned, but he wasn't deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. Right? So let's take a closer look at that Genesis passage and explore that idea. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, we see that God commanded the man not to eat of the tree. The way that the passage of Genesis is arranged, they kind of go through the creation story in a couple different waves. You ever have a neighbor who doesn't cut their grass? You can't just put the lawnmower on the lowest setting and cut the grass. You've got to kind of take off the first couple inches first. And then you can lower the, the lawnmower and cut the rest of it. And in Genesis, they kind of do that two-pass method with creation. We go through the seven days of creation, and then God goes into a little bit deeper on some of the points in there. Well, here we're at the point where Eve is not around. It's only Adam. God says to Adam, you may eat of any tree, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat, for the moment you eat it, you will die. God also says, it's not good for man to be alone or lonely as it is. But it's an interesting take that happens next. God brings every creature, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, he brings them to Adam for Adam to name. Think of how many animals there are when you go to the zoo, right? This is taking a long time. Now, I need a few animal names. What, what's your favorite animal? What do you think is your favorite animal? When you go to the... A buffalo. That is great. So, God brings a buffalo to Adam. Only it's not called a buffalo yet. And Adam looks at this and says, I'm going to call this a buffalo. Now, do you think at that moment, God turns to Adam and says, Adam, help me, eh? Buffalo, this is great, right? And Adam says, well, it's just not exactly what I had in mind, God. I'm not crazy about the facial hair. Give me another animal. What's another animal that you like? A snow leopard. Very good. So... Then God says, all right, Buffalo's a little too big. Let's bring in this snow leopard. And Adam names the snow leopard. And God says, hey, Adam, a little smaller. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm afraid of those teeth, right? Give me another animal. What would be your favorite animal? A giraffe. That is an excellent one. That is the one I actually had in my mind when I was thinking of this story. God brings this animal. Very curious looking. Adam names it giraffe. And God says, Adam, no teeth. Eats plants. What do you think? 
Do you think that's what was going on? Right after God says, it's not good for man to be alone, he brings all of these animals to be named by Adam. As if you were going to find one of those animals that was going to be a helper comparable to him. God is smarter than that, isn't he? He is the ultimate matchmaker. He knows that a giraffe and a human are not compatible, let alone comparable. Here's what was happening. Adam was created in God's image. One of the components of that is that there was no male and female. There was Adam. But all the rest of creation was created with male and female. So as every animal traipses in front of Adam, what does Adam see? He sees a male and he sees a female. A male buffalo, a male giraffe, a female giraffe. And when he gets done this huge process of all of the animals walking by and getting named, Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, he's done and he kind of looks around and he realizes maybe for the first time that he's missing something in his life something that he's seen in all of creation but he doesn't see with himself did he need a partner God says he did and it's at that point that God allows him to fall into a deep sleep he takes the rib he fashions it into a woman and he brings her to him. And he says that whole passage, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He's basically saying, God, you nailed it. <laughs> this is what I was looking for. This is what I wanted that I didn't even know. Some people say that he just stood there a mouth agape and said, whoa. Man. And since he had been naming all the animals, God took that and said, all right, whoa, man, it is. He finally found what he was missing. He finally found, in a sense, the love of his life. But we don't have a happily ever after here in the story. We have chapter 3 of Genesis Enter the serpent. If this was a movie, you'd hear the, the you know, sinister music, right? He comes in and he deceives Eve. I want to read that again, uh, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, just to refresh our memory on what's in here. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree uh, of every tree of the garden. And the woman said, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. It's very interesting in verse 6 there, 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave to her husband with her. This, again, is another sermon. I don't have time. to. I don't want to hold you here all holiday weekend. But we see three aspects there. Good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. Think about sin in those terms. Almost something that you could use in your Bible study this week. Good for food. We often legitimize our sin, don't we? Well, it's, it's, I need sustenance. It's good for food. There's a legitimate reason for me to be doing what I am doing right now. Pleasant to the eyes. There's a temptation that's there that is, to be honest, totally unrelated to our justification that we just thought up. And desirable to make one wise. There's usually a deeper motivation. You know, they often say that kleptomaniacs, people who will steal just repeatedly, they don't steal because they need those things. They steal because there's some other motivation there that is causing them to take something that's not theirs. They want control over that environment. So that's your homework. You can go and look into that this week and allow the Lord to speak to you on those three areas of sin. But in verse 6, Eve ate and gave some to Adam, and he ate also. So I hope you can see that Eve truly was deceived in this whole circumstance. She thought she was doing something that sounded okay. She never heard, don't eat of the tree, from God directly. She heard it from Adam. One of the ways that we know that is because when she tells the serpent, she adds something. Did you notice that there? She says, we're not even supposed to touch it. There was nothing in God's command about touching. But I could hear it in Adam's voice. Girl, don't even go near it. Don't even touch it. That's what I say to my boy. Don't even go near that. All right? That cookie on the table, that's for later. Don't even touch it. Because I know that if they touch it, it's going to soon be touching it with their tongue. So I just stop right there and say, don't even allow that to even touch your body. And I could hear Adam doing the same sort of thing. God said, don't eat of the tree. So you know what? I don't even go near it. I don't even touch it. And that's what she says. The serpent used that area of doubt. Did God really say that? To misinterpret and misrepresent what actually God did say. And Eve was deceived. She fell for it. It was different with Adam. He heard the command directly from God. He knew what it included and what it did not include. He knew that there was no condition where eating that fruit would be okay. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses for Adam, but I can understand where he was coming from. Think with me. He was lonely before he even knew that he was lonely. Now he was so lonely, and God gave him Eve. 
He finally found the answer to all his loneliness. They're walking around the garden. They're having a wonderful time exploring what God has made in the world. But now he sees Eve deceived, determined that she's going to eat that fruit. She wants to know what the serpent is talking about when he says your eyes will be opened. She's going to disobey God. That's going to ruin everything. Right? This wonderful love story that they have, that they've just started. They've just embarked upon their life, lives together. It's going to be ruined. She's going to die. That's what God said. I'm not going to be with her anymore. So Adam chooses to be with Eve in sin rather than being separated from her in righteousness. He was the first one to make a decision like that, but he has in no way been the last one to make a decision like that. So he looked at Eve in her sinful state, and he looked at the tree. He looked at Eve with love in his eyes, And he looked at the tree, and he took the fruit, and he ate it. Now, I said that this sermon was about the greatest love story ever told. That isn't it. That might make a great Harlequin romance. That might make a great Hallmark miniseries. But it is not the greatest love story ever told. Because what Adam did was silly. In a sense, it was stupid. He took matters into his own hands instead of trusting God. He acted in the moment. He committed willful disobedience. That's what that Timothy passage is talking about in terms of the difference between Adam's sin and Eve's sin. Eve was deceived, but Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Let's move on to Act 2 of our love story, and let's turn to another scripture, Romans 5.19. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. reads, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. For As by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Let me remind you of another story. Another man. Another perfect man without sin. A man created by God by overshadowing the Virgin Mary. He's known as the second Adam, Jesus. He came into this world and he fell in love with us. He fell madly head over heels in love with each and every one of us. With all humankind. But... We were separated from him. We were in sin just like Eve was. 
And he was not able to love us in the way that he wanted to love us because of that separation. But he knew a solution. He knew the solution, the only solution. He could choose to be with us in sin by taking our sin upon him. Romans 5.19 says that by taking our sin upon him, all of mankind could have the opportunity to be made righteous again. But this solution also required him to die. It also required him to be separated for a time in death and sin from his heavenly father. But Christ was in love. True love knows no bounds, no limits. So as Jesus was betrayed by his closest friends, his BFFs, he looked at us. He looked at you, and he looked at the cross. He looked at you with love in his eyes, and he looked to the tree of Calvary. He looked at you, he looked at the tree. And just as with Adam, where Adam had his mind made up, Christ had his mind made up. He was willing to partake of that tree of Calvary to reunite us with him. Amen? Amen. Let's read about that event from Scripture in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 5. Because this is the greatest love story ever told. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I, uh, I think I'm getting a little worked up here. We have one more act to our story. Are you ready? After every love story movie, there are the credits. Right? Are you one of those people who stays in the movie theater or keeps playing the DVD to watch the credits roll by? They play a nice snappy song in the background. You just got to leave it on for the music. You watch. You want to see who that one actor is. You want to know what was the name of that song that I heard halfway through the movie? Then all the people, the names of all the people who contributed to that movie are on the screen. The actors, the costume designers, the camera operators, don't forget the key grips, right? 
they all start scrolling up the screen. Anybody who did anything, no matter how small in that movie, gets their name in that movie on the credits. Here's the thing. In the greatest love story ever told, your name is in the credits. You might have to wait there a long time. You have to wait for the big names like Moses and David, Paul and Timothy to scroll by, but your name is there if you will wait long enough. What do you think the description says next to your name? Next to Adam, it might say, he took matters into his own hands because he didn't trust that God could fix the problem. Does it say that next to your name? Is there something you've got on your heart today weighing you down that you think you just can't let go of because God can't or won't or doesn't possibly know how to fix? Next to Eve, it might say she believed that she was doing the right things all along, doing what she thought God would want her to do. But her relationship with God at that time was not firsthand. It was not personal. She missed it. She was deceived. Could that describe you? Is your relationship with God not really that personal? Not personal enough? Is it only on Sunday? When it's convenient for your lifestyle? Maybe you've never even heard about God's love story before. Although if you attend Steve's church, I can't imagine that would go for very long. But now you have. Or maybe what we explored today has given you a new understanding of the love that Christ has shown to you. Something you hadn't realized before. Maybe God is sitting across the table from you, candlelight dinner, wanting you to step out and live your life for him and with him in a way that you never have before. Maybe you're lonely today. Or you feel that you're missing something in your relationships or your relationship with God. Maybe it's something that you don't even know you're missing. Just like Adam didn't know he was missing. Eve. Just as God showed Adam what he lacked, maybe God wants to show something that you need in your life today. In your walk with him. As we close this part of the service in prayer, I want to take a moment at the start to just be silent and allow you some time to speak to God what he is putting on your heart right now. And then we will pray together. Let's pray. Lord, as we come here this morning, everyone is coming from a, a different address, a different bed, a different place in their life, a different need, a different desire for you. But as we come and gather in this single place, and as we hear the word of God, we recognize 
that your desire for us is the same. You want a love story with each and every one of us. You want that feeling of walking around a lake holding hands in hand with the one you love, the church. But there are several things that keep us still from being your love. Those things that we have brought with us, we need to give to you. Those things that we don't know how to fix, we need to turn over to you. Those doubts that we have about our relationship with you, we need to put aside and we need to say, come and show me how to love you. Show me how to live my life for you. Show me what needs to change. Show me what needs to be added. Show me what needs to be subtracted. So, Lord, we come before you this morning and we ask to be the love of our life. Move into our heart in a way that gives us butterflies in our stomach for you and help us to be so ecstatic, so overjoyed about what you've done for us that we will reach out and tell everyone. We'll change our status page. We'll change our relationship status. We'll hang it there and we'll say, I am in a committed, loving relationship with God, the Father Almighty. And I am living for Him every day of the week. As we allow our hands to open and we give these things to You, I pray that You would give them flight like butterflies and You would take them upon Yourself. And give us the freedom and the liberty that was from the first and the biggest Independence Day when you died on the cross taking our sin and shame and reconciled us to you. Move in our hearts and give us that freedom, that liberty, and that love. We ask you for it. In the name of Jesus, and we commit ourselves to seeking after you more than we were when we walked into this place today. In your name, Father, amen. I've asked the worship team to lead us again in some worship because I really feel that a sermon like this needs to allow us some expression back to God. So take this opportunity and allow God to hear from your heart how much you are in love with him today. Amen.